Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Welcome to the Cut to the Race podcast by the Formula Nerds. My name is Sam and I'm debutising again this week for Ollie, who is back from his honeymoon, but has been called to London on urgent work. It sounds all very mysterious. Um, we can't reveal more than that, partly because he hasn't revealed more than that. But I am joined by Cal this week and Grace. Cal, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Yeah. Grace, how are you doing? I'm good. We're here to talk about the Miami Grand Prix. It was... An eventful weekend, uh, even if the race wasn't quite what uh, we might have had in mind. But we'll start with uh, with the hype, with all the expectations, because this was one of the kind of the most, you know, kind of hyped up Grand Prix that we've had in a long time. Probably the the biggest since Singapore in two thousand and eight for a new Grand Prix. Guys, what did you think of the kind of the build up? Did you guys watch the opening ceremony at all? I did. And can I just say one thing before we get started on the hype? I thought the whole thing would fall on its face. I really did. I was expecting it to be absolutely terrible. I thought it's going to be Kota 2.0, which now I'm used to Kota. I'm okay with it. I'm all right with it. When it first came, absolutely despised it. I thought it was overly American and it was all, like Sam said, the Super Bowl do you know what I mean but even though it was like that in Miami it just had a different vibe to it it felt like it was fun I was itching to be there watching everything on the TV it looked amazing 
So that's interesting because, well, yeah, I, I mentioned the Super Bowl because that's what they build it as. They were kind of saying it's going to be the Super Bowl of F1, also the Monaco of F1. But interestingly, I don't think it translated necessarily as well to TV audiences as it did to be there. Like it, it looked incredible to, to, to be there. Lots of celebrities, lots of activities, parties, live music. But it was there was a bit of a disconnect watching from home. I enjoyed it because it was an evening Grand Prix. I love evening Grand Prix. But it didn't flow in the way that maybe you'd hope. And I thought the opening ceremony was a bit odd. It was, I don't know, it just, I get what they're trying to do, but... I don't know. It was. It felt a bit, you know, kind of not F one. Grace, what are your thoughts? Well, on one hand, I absolutely thought it looked mint. Like everyone was having a good time, which we love to see. And what you said about S- Singapore earlier, I find very interesting because, yeah, this is the most hyped up race since then. But also, since the fan base has got so much bigger, and we've now got like increased use of social media like the hype is like just all consuming I feel like I couldn't get away from the Miami Grand Prix every time it went onto Instagram or TikTok or Twitter it was just in my face which is great but again on the on the other hand that I'm talking about I really didn't enjoy watching it as a viewer I preferred watching TikToks from people like POVs rather than watching it at home which I've never really had before I think the coverage was a bit different to what we're used to. And yeah, I'm a bit of a purist as well. So I wasn't a massive fan of the actual race weekend, but I would have been there for the vibes. You know what? I usually completely agree with both of your points, but I'm trying to look at the bigger picture in the sense that we're, we're coming into a new era of Formula One, which is very, very, very media driven. Everyone said everyone who was there has watched Drive to Survive and they're there for the drama. They're there for the 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 trying to basically see if they can spot Gunther Steiner and Kevin Magnussen having an argument, sort of like by peering down the paddock, aren't they? They're they're that's what they're there for. They're there for the drama. Miami needed to be dramatic in every sense of the word. And I think apart from the race, which we'll get into, it, it delivered um as an event. I do believe watching it could have been quite difficult, but I think because I sort of went in with an open mind, I didn't really think about it too much and just sort of watched it. It was quite enjoyable for me. See, you say everything but the race had drama, but if you're going to watch an F1 race or you're watching it on the weekend, you want the race to have drama. Like, I get it's fun if there's like beef between teammates and principals, but... At the end of the day, you want good racing, and that is the one thing Miami failed to deliver on. What I will say in its defence is that it was original. And before before they're kind of saying, we want it to be like the American Monaco. No, you, you don't. Or well, maybe they did, but I don't think that was the way to go. I think be authentic. And it certainly was. And they maybe went a little bit too far with that. Like I was saying to someone last night, um, on Twitter that it was like the the organisers had a meeting to talk about their options and what kind of you know various events they could include within the Grand Prix weekend and they went for every single suggestion like there was no quality control it was just like yep 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 and it just felt very over kind of 
packed like too many kind of little kind of cute things like the the the, the American football helmets on the podium fine in itself but as part of a wider thing it, by the end of the weekend it was a bit like oh okay the Super Bowl thing as well haven't got a huge problem with it but it's the fifth race in the season with the NFL the Super Bowl you know the whole season culminates with the Super Bowl if the last race of the season was Miami and yeah, the, the championship was on the line. It would have worked better. But we know that more often than not, the, the, the season isn't won over a, you know, one race or two. So I don't know if that translated as well as it does to other sports. I like, I like where you went with that, actually. I like the idea of Miami sort of being the finisher rather than Abu Dhabi. I think there's a possibility that F1 could look at that. Maybe Vegas, actually. I do think Vegas is going to be, like, if you two didn't like Miami in terms of, like, what was going on and throwing everything at it and just saying yes to everything, Vegas is going to be five times worse for you guys. I do imagine that Cirque du Soleil will be, like, delivering the trophies on the podium. Like, it will be so extreme in every sense of the word. And I'm going to go into Vegas with an open mind. I went into Miami with an open mind. And... It's, I'm, I'm very much coming across like I hated it. I thought it was fine. I thought there was too many gimmicks, but you expect a level of that now. And that's fine. I actually quite like the whole kind of Austin cowboy hat, kind of their approach from day one. I thought, you know what? Yeah, this is fun. This is, you know, playing into kind of a new age of Formula One, a new fan base. And ultimately, this is what you have to do to kind of capture an audience in the United States. And I think it's important to have a, an audience in the United States. You know, we act like, you know, oh, you know, in, in the United States, they only like driving around in circles, blah, 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 which is something that non-motorsport fans levy at Formula One fans. But that's not the case. Like so many NASCAR races and so many IndyCar races are not on oval circuits. So there was always going to be potential for Formula One to be big in the US. I just don't think we'd done it properly as a sport. So I don't have a problem with the concept in general. I just think they took it too far. And it was not about the racing this weekend. This weekend made me realise how much I really do love Austin. Like, it's just so much more fun and it seems so much more authentically American. And obviously, America's really... a a massive country it's got lots of different areas with completely different cultures and vibes but Austin just felt much more authentic and I you say we weren't like Vegas Cal I'm going into it thinking I'll prefer it to Miami I don't know why I just think all the hype around Miami it was quite meh whereas I think Vegas they won't let it fall flat I think they'll make it a show and it'll hopefully be a good show It'll be interesting to see a final race, maybe, at Miami or Vegas. I do want Suzuka, though. Yeah, I'm personally an Interlagos end-of-season advocate. But, yeah, my biggest issue, you know, anywhere but Abu Dhabi, as far as I'm concerned. But, um, yeah, no, I, I think that can work, and I think it will work. I think, if we're being fair, it was always going to be a little bit more difficult the first time around. By the next Miami Grand Prix, we'll know what to expect and they will have honed that. Probably by Vegas, they're getting close to kind of almost perfecting it. And I think it's also just easier with Vegas because people, 
you expect to pass Miami, but you expect Vegas to take it to the absolute nth degree. Cal, what do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, in terms of the racing, I think all we've had is Baku 2.0. I think everyone was a bit tetchy and a bit safe, like they sort of were in Baku first time around. However, since then, every race at Baku has provided the safety car, I think. They've been and, amazing. Great, and they've been great races. Probably one of my favourite races on the calendar now. I, I I love Baku as a race and it's one of the one of the ones I actually want to go to. Um I think Miami will just be the same. I think now they're used to the circuit. Um they're gonna go in next year and think, right, we're gonna capitalise on where we went wrong, etc. 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 And it'll make it a lot spicier. The event though, I I'd couldn't really fault the event i thought it was it was what they promised do you know what i mean it's, it's everyone thought sounds a bit too much on paper but they delivered it they said they'd do it and they did it to be fair to them i mean that is a fair point like it wasn't like we were you know kind of blindsided by this um i think for me the the opening ceremony i just don't think it was needed i think had had they not done that, I wouldn't have been so kind of sceptical and cynical from Thursday onwards um, or Wednesday evening local time to Miami. But yeah, I, to go back to your kind of you know, original point, Cal, I think, yeah, it will age well, hopefully, like Baku. And there's criticisms of the track surface, of the racing. That that often happens. At a, you know, for a first race, it doesn't quite kind of gonna, work. I was just going to say, name one circuit where they've turned up, nailed it first time. Zambort. Yeah, no. Zamb- Zambort's got history, man. Like True, I true. Mean, Very true. New circuit where they've absolutely nailed it first time. Even Saudi was a bit, you know... You can say that they nailed Zanvoort. They nailed the atmosphere of Zanvoort. And let's face it, Max Verstappen is the atmosphere of Zanvoort. So that is yeah. totally situational to the current climate. I'm talking and the racing like wasn't great. I'm talking like brand new circuit. Never um, raced that. Like Saudi, like Miami. Like well, Baku when that came in. Yeah. They struggled to nail it first time. It's impossible to, to go somewhere completely brand new where there's no data and have a good race. I think it, also it, it's sad. always going to be a bit, you know, a bit mellow the first time around. I'm going to put a pin in this. I'm going to make a note because I'm going to think about this because I'm sure there's one. Mugello maybe was pretty entertaining, but I think that was just because people just made some really silly mistakes. Yeah, like yeah. It was, I was about to say, it's so, absolute chaos. In terms of the racing, it was just pure chaos. It was fun to watch, but it was just chaotic. Yeah, but like, yeah, I, your point about kind of Baku... Absolutely. And they'll sort out the track surface. And I think the track will be racier once you can go offline. Like we saw so many mistakes offline, which we'll get to when we talk about qualifying and the race. So yeah, from that aspect, they need to give it time. But yeah, like I think it, I don't know. I'm now starting to doubt myself a little bit because maybe I'm, I feel like I've come in too hot and I'm just looking to, back on it now and going, just to try and, bad. you know, save face for you a little bit. I think if they added Formula E and maybe even IndyCar to that circuit, added that circuit to their calendars, 
and used those two sort of series as a a learning curve for them to get it better for F1. I think that would be a very, very good idea. I'd love to see Formula E round there. Apart from the big long straight, I feel like that would be a bit pointless for Formula E. But the rest of the circuit would be pretty good for Formula E. Um, IndyCar would be quite entertaining there as well, I think. I agree. Also, W Series racing was was it was better than we saw in the kind of F1 event over the weekend. So by that logic, F2 would work. F3, I think, would be chaos. I don't you you wouldn't be able to get thirty cars around there. I think it would be an absolute disaster. Um, sticking a bunch of teenagers on a, a new circuit, slippery circuit with you know twenty nine other other drivers. But yeah, no, I, I I take that point. I think that's that's fair. It's about learning the kind of the details of the circuit, which, as you said, Cal, is difficult to nail first time. I'm going to stop us all right there. Maybe we've just got FOMO, Sam. Maybe it was great and it looked great and maybe Carl's right and we're just denying that we're sad that we missed out. Absolutely. You know what? I, I think I said this to Ollie. I had a phone call with him on Saturday just to catch up. And I think I said... Miami is the new Silverstone in America. Now, I don't know if you two have been to Silverstone on an F1 race weekend, but it is that, but British. There is everything going on. You can get involved with so many things. There were so many fan areas where you could go and like change tyres and, and, and just have fun with it. And it, it felt like I was watching an Americanized version of Silverstone away from the, like around the circuit, if you know what I mean. Like the events, the... The amount of people that were there was insane. There was like 80,000 people there a day. Like It was packed out, sold out completely. And just the little things like, the, all right, they had a fake marina, but there was people sat on those yachts for the whole race watching the cars go past. I should imagine those tickets were thousands. But there was people sat in the yachts as the cars were going past, and I think you could see that it was a pretty poor pet place in terms of the track to watch them because they literally just went zoom but imagine being sat on a yacht watching a race it you know it had that Monaco vibe to it they they had a bit of everything there and that, that's what I loved about it it appealed yeah, I mean, to every style of fan I think you make you make a fair point and I think the marina was such a, um, a controversial thing in the run up to to the race that by the time we got to it I think none of us really minded anymore we'd kind of got used we'd yeah. settled with the idea and it, it was, was almost funny like it was kind of quirky and cute like it was it was, it was one of its you know little things ultimate, about it that was it was ultimate American cheese that turned out to be pretty good I, I, I will concede that the level of support engagement was good for the sport in the US, which I think is important. It's a big, it's a big, a big audience, a big demographic um, to tap into. And yeah, it's nice to see athletes like Lewis Hamilton being appreciated by by other great athletes. Like there was that photo of Michael Jordan, David Beckham, Tom Brady, and Lewis Hamilton. So David Beckham, unfortunately, there is the the outlier. He's the anomaly because. You would want a, you, I guess you'd put a Ronaldo or a, a Messi in there, as you know, if you want a real kind of goat lineup. I, I don't, I don't agree with that. I mean, well, this is football, so we'll, we'll stay away from it. But I, I, mean, I think you're talking right. in, in solely in 
records and kind of, you know, achievements in the game. David Beckham Ronaldo. Is, Ronaldo. No David, Beckham is, David Beckham is the biggest, one of the biggest names in football, especially in the UK, like, you know, as a British player. So yeah, f- fine, fair enough. But my point was, is that you've had, what, you had six NBA titles, seven Super Bowls, seven World Championships, and Beckham's won the Champions Leagues, won countless Premier Leagues. You know, for those drivers to be getting that level of respect is huge because I think people often think, oh yeah, you're just sitting in, you're sitting in a car and driving around, it's easy. And when we get to kind of the the, the weekend kind of actual action, when we talk about Ocon and, and science, it really kind of will show just the kind of level of physical demand that you put your your body through. So yeah, I think it's nice from that perspective. Yeah, it was good. But I mean, just the, the, the sheer amount of celebrity A-list coverage that was there, it was insane. There were so many people there who you were just like, oh God, I know who that is. I mean, Martin Brundle embarrassed himself severely on the grid walk. Absolutely severely. He was not the man to do that grid walk. But we'll get onto that in a moment. The amount of celebrity coverage was there. And I love seeing celebrities at races because they go and put it on their Instagram story and people who don't like F1 will look at that and think, oh, maybe F1 is cool. You know, it's like when you see David Beckham at the tennis. I always think, well, he's there for a reason. It must be all right. I'm not a big fan of tennis, but I always watch Wimbledon. Stop right there. Yeah. No, it's when you see Wimbledon. Daniel Ricciardo at the tennis at Wimbledon and you're like, right, Wimbledon must be good then. Yeah, but I mean, just the sheer amount of celebrities there is always a good thing. They saw it as a big event. They were promised a big event. I mean, Paris Hilton was there. What the hell does she know about Formula One? Probably absolutely nothing, but she knows, it, she knows it's the glitz, the glam. She knows also, she's is it 2004? I think, you know... She's it, back. She's back, honey. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> what I was going to say, though, not even, like, just A-listers were there. Like, blooming Francis Bourgeois from TikTok was there. And the loads of TikTok people were there. And the guy was like, I like your car, what are you driving? And did that to Lando. I thought that was great because it engages with a completely different kind of audience. Like people my age or just a bit younger than me might not know who Paris Hilton is, but they'll know very, who Francis Bourgeois is. Very quick question. Do you think these TikTokers were given tickets and invited to appeal to a wider audience? 100%. Do you think that, that was the case? Because I think if so, fair play. Even Formula if they one, like that is, F1. That little golden nugget yeah. of getting a little bit more coverage that that's very clever like even if the likes of the tiktokers who went like f1 they're obviously not going to tighten it down and they'll make content and get new people to support it it's just weird that i like both of the two that were combined but someone might not know even know what f1 is see it on their favorite tiktokers page and be like yeah i'll start watching i mean I personally, the kind of Francis Bourgeois and James Corden kind of element, I wasn't, I think that's partly what, that and the the uh, the opening ceremony is pro- probably is what has led my my view of, of the kind of the, you know, outside of the, the event or the, the extra trimmings to be kind of, you know, not my favourite. Um, I think an F1 Grand Prix weekend should the, the action on track should speak for itself so with that in mind shall we move on to qualifying yeah i mean i, I thought what, you'd never ask 
I think what we've done is we've gone around in circles a little bit in the sense that we've discussed absolutely everything that happened at the event. And I think you two are on board now. I think you two you two started um, very um, negatively yeah. and now you're sort of here. You're sort of like, yeah, you know what, it's, that, that was good. 50-50, 50-50. Yeah, see, you, you've come into it a bit. You're sort of realising, actually, it wasn't as bad as it thought it, as it looked. Okay. Right, Quali, any stories except Ocon not running? Anything other well, than that? that in itself we need to talk about. So yeah. turn 13, 14, which is the, the Mickey Mouse Formula E mistake generator generator section of the circuit turned out to be a bit controversial and speaking of controversial another thing we haven't even talked about jewelry but anyway we don't need to go and underpants and underpants um cal shaking his head but back to 10 13 14 so on friday carlos science had a big incident where he went into the wall there just totally lost it and he you know his hurt his neck he clearly felt the effects of that the drivers were then kind of calling, you know, for better protections there. We need tech pro barriers, which would have narrowed the circuit at an already very narrow point. Do you guys think that the FIA made the right call? Bearing in mind that the next day, Ocon then had a 51G crash, which is big. What are your thoughts? Um... You could say that about any area of the track that needs to be protected. Look at where Grosjean crashed in Bahrain. That is not somewhere that you would naturally need a tech pro barrier. Had it have been there, it'd be a very different story, wouldn't it? Um, this is a little bit different. I think on the surface of it, having run sims and things like that, they probably didn't see that as an area that was potentially dangerous. But they probably didn't take into account how slippy the surface was of the circuit. Obviously, it looked quite grippy online, but as soon as you got offline, like it was just pure ice. Like they were just gone. Like it was impossible to drive offline. Um, it should. It, I do want to say it just shows how elite these guys are because I think any of the series at that point where the drivers aren't the best in the world and they're trying to overtake offline and things like that, they are going to struggle massively. Like It it wouldn't work on any other series. I do think, though, they'll, rev- they'll review it for next year. Are they back next year or is it the year after? I, f- I swear Miami are having a year out. I could be no, wrong. they're the that next Qatar. 10 years. Qatar, it's, that's it. It's Sorry. Qatar that's not this year, but is yeah. next year. Yeah. The, but yeah, they'll, they'll have one there for next year. For sure, 100%. But I also think they'll resurface for a grippier surface. And I also think they'll they'll think about it in the sense that they'll have something on the week before, putting rubber down, try and grip it up a little bit. You know, they'll do, they'll do the extra things that they, they'll learn from it, basically. I don't think it was a necessity at the time to have a tech pro barrier there. I do think it was purely down to the surface and they hadn't taken that into account. So, yeah, I don't think the FIA were wrong not to put one there. Do you think it taps into a larger issue, though, where the drivers have said, we'd feel more comfortable if you were to put a tech pro barrier there? You're not, you're essentially, you're not listening to us. Do you think there's a wider problem there? And also, 
do you think we are we are now seeing too many temporary or semi-temporary as they've said Miami is are we seeing too many of those tracks on the calendar are there problems that derive from that um so for the first thing no I don't think that's an issue I think the FIA need to hold firm when drivers are asking for things if it's really like they need it they'll do it but I think every time someone has a crash if they go and whack a tech pro barrier there you may as well throw them in a, a, a padded cell and just you know let them wrestle in there for an hour rather than send them out racing in a formula one car they they need to be careful not to um give in to what drivers are asking for at that point they need to make sure is it a safety risk or is it just a case of get better and i think where carlos and ocon both dropped in that corner Personally, I think they're both not in the best form at the moment. You know, you would have argued that you'd probably see Latifi if anyone been in it there, but I would say it was driver error rather than anything else. And no one else did it. We never saw it happen in the race. Never saw it happen in quali. There was only other one other crash, I believe, all week. Uh, two other crashes all weekend. Three. Oh God, there was actually quite a few when you think about it. But I mean, purely on driver error rather than car to car. Um, yeah, there's no there's no need for the FIA to start giving into uh, to pressure like that. And in terms of the circuits being temporary, um, obviously it has its pros and cons. If you have Monaco set up all year round, you'd you'd lose the city. Like you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be able to do anything with it. Um, same with Baku. Is Saudi temporary? I don't think it is. Is it? Or is it? Well, it's, it's more, okay, to reframe the question, I guess, in a better way, do we have too many street circuits? Or be it some of them don't have truly, you know, authentic tr- street circuit characteristics. Like Baku, for large parts of it, doesn't feel hugely street circuit in the kind of, I guess, in how you'd set up the car. and It's, it's high speed and it's, you know, kind of, but, and, you know, Saudi Arabia, certainly. But have we moved too far away from traditional circuits? Um, no, I don't think we have. I think you've got to bear in mind of where F1 is going. And it's all about money, isn't it? It's, it's a business thing. And you've got to think, F1 don't pay for these circuits. Uh, Miami essentially paid for that circuit. Jeddah in Saudi paid for the Jeddah circuit. F1 don't pay for it. This is why we had the trouble with Silverstone a couple of years ago. Silverstone was struggling to fund itself. And that's why there was a potential of Silverstone leaving. But if a country or a place wants to put themselves on the calendar and their most cost-effective way of doing it is to build a street circuit that is temporary and can be removed, then fair enough. You've You've got to look at cost. And I think... What Miami did really well this weekend was incorporate it into a very popular stadium where they know there's an area there where thousands upon thousands of people can be at one time. Parking, infrastructure's there for getting there, in and out, everything was there. It was the perfect place, really. And, um, yeah, I'm all for these street circuits, so long as the racing is good. And I think 
what we'll find is the more of these street circuits that come in, it will just take a race or two to make them decent, unfortunately. But I think you're always going to find that. Grace, I can see you chomping at the bit to get in here. It's from a point that you were talking about ages ago, and I can't even, like, can't even remember. But basically what you were saying about the FIA standing firm on what they think and listening to drivers. If you look at it, the flip side for safety, when the FIA wanted to introduce the halo, a lot of the drivers weren't happy with it, but they stood firm and look how many lives it saved and how much damage has not been caused because of the halo. So I think the FIA knows their stuff. It's not like a random piece of like people. You've got safety experts there. Use them. So this is what this is sort of what I meant. Grace has explained it much better than I did. You can't. The drivers don't know best. They're on the circuit and they're racing, and no one else is. I understand that. But the FIA deal with more than just Formula One. They deal with so many different motorsports. They know what is safe and what isn't. And all right, don't get me wrong. They won't get it right every single time. But if they listen to every single driver for an amendment to the circuit to what they see as safer, the, the race had never happened. They'd be constantly changing it. It'd be under construction the whole time. They need to stand firm, I think, and just, yeah, we'll look at it next year, but for now, we, we can't really go and whack in the tech pro barrier, mate. It's not, it's not a five-minute job. We've got an event on. It, it's safe. Like, you just bend it. I mean, I, I think you make a fair point. I... I think I maybe sit more with the drivers on, on these kind of things because I think they experience stuff firsthand. But I think you make a very fair point. And I think it will be addressed for next year, whether or not that actually leads to them moving the wall back or making any changes. But I do think it certainly will be reviewed, which is ultimately is an important point. But with the rest of qualifying, obviously Ocon couldn't take part because of his big, his big shunt at that turn 13, 14 section. What are, you, what are your standouts for qualifying? You know, there were some disappointments for, say, Mercedes or George Russell specifically, having had such a strong Friday. And also Max Verstappen. What are your thoughts? I have standout good people. I have standout good people, which might be a bit random. I think, obviously, Gasly impressed me. But I also think Lance Stroll really impressed me because we haven't really seen the pace with that Austin Martin a bit and no not really impressed me okay shocked me to get into the top 10 not in the wet because I know he's a bit good in the wet but yeah they were my two mini standouts and a negative standout would be Max but you know he can pull it together on race day so it's not that deep yeah the, the Max thing hurt me I'm not gonna lie like, I don't know. I think I said on the last podcast, we'll see Max, in my opinion, if he's going to take any any record from Hamilton, I feel like it'll be the pole positions one. Um, and then he goes and does this in Q3, which basically for the listeners, if they're not understanding what we're referring to, it came down to the last lap shootouts. It was his final go. Usually he pulls it out of the bag. He didn't. He, he made a mistake and it cost him. He actually ended up pulling out of the lap and just sort of cruising around, which very unlike him. Um, I don't think it was a pressure thing. I think it was just he made a 
pure and simple mistake. It was driver error, which, you know, happens. I, yeah, no, I, I agree. It's not a pressure thing. That kind of early section, that kind of, you know, left, right, left, right section, everyone was struggling with. It was right on that kind of not flat out, but almost flat out kind of pivot where if you don't hook the car up quite right, you lose a lot of time and it's difficult and he made a mistake. I find it really interesting that you reckon that it's the qualifying record that is is most vulnerable to Max because for his early early part of his career, it wasn't a standout kind of part of his game. He, you know, it took him quite a while to kind of start to tally up those those qualifyings. He's clearly worked on it though. Yeah, it's something that Hamilton wasn't thrown in pole positions for the start of his career. It, it, I mean, it was a different era then. It, it was very different then. But, you know, it, I, I do think it's largely to do with the car in qualifying. I think Red Bull, Ferrari are very quick. But Red Bull with Max Verstappen, that combination is... is it's lethal. It's, yeah, it's a scary thought for other, other the opposition. And if... For the next few years, which I do think, especially up until 2026, we are going to see a Max Verstappen, Red Bull dominance. I can't see anyone else taking the title from him unless Red Bull have severe reliability issues, which I think they're already sort of getting on top of um, on the whole. Anyway, it's the pole position thing. It's going to be very hard to stop him. But like you say, Sam, I, th- I think the race wins thing as well, is he, he's going to be there. I, I saw a stat, actually, while I remember, because I will forget. With the result Verstappen had at the race weekend, he, he is now in the top 10 all-time podium finishes in Formula 1. I saw that, and I thought it was very interesting. He's, he's not even 25 yet. Yeah. Top 10 all-time podium finishes. And he's already got his championship, and people in that list didn't even have a championship so he's already like Barrichello was on there so Verstappen's already done lots that other people haven't and he's he's not I don't even think he's in his prime I really don't no he, oh, he's no, I agree. outrageously he's a different Verstappen from last year as well and I think he's smarter he, yeah he's more savvy definitely um god he, he's he's <sighs> Ollie, Ollie said at the end of the race, unstoppable. I, I see. I, I saw someone the other day kind of saying, oh, well, he's only a benefactor of the fact that he was able to kind of get into the sport so young. And, you know, now that you have to be 18, it's like, well, okay, he was 17 for starters. And also, it's a it's a meritocracy to a certain degree. Obviously, there are pay drivers and, you know, that's a whole other thing. But he is the, you know, he was in F1 at such a young age because he was that good. And... We are, you know, seeing that trajectory kind of he's reaching that potential that we expected. One thing I do, th- it, I think, is a fair point. He is a benefactor of us having twenty plus race seasons, which wasn't the norm until the last decade. But that said, I, I don't want to kind of dimin- diminish his his accomplishments at such a young age because, yeah, I think he he is exceptional. I was actually thinking about the 20 plus race season thing the other day and how I think Perez mentioned it the other week saying it was too much. If it gets any more, then that's it. But there was a Sterling Moss, I believe, documentary I watched maybe sometime last year 
And back in back then, in between races, they were going to race sports cars, sort of as practice. They would actively race in other series. So Formula One has never really had the twenty plus race seasons that it does now, but the drivers have. They would always go and race in something else. They would compete in Le Mans regularly and other things like that. So the drivers themselves, quite for a long time now, have participated for the for the full season, if you know what I mean, like the racing season. And yeah, I was a bit annoyed that I saw Perez say that, to be honest, because I was thinking, you're going to retire at like late 30s and then live the rest of your life in Monaco. So stop complaining and just crack on with it. You, you, you're in the pinnacle of motorsport and you're moaning that it's too much. Like, crack on. <laughs> it's like, did you guys see that clip where the Ferrari guys are sat there and they're like, Carlos is signing hats and he's like, oh, you see how difficult, you know, my life is. And Charles is like, we have really easy lives. <laughs> Grace, what are, you th- what are you thinking? I was just, just going to say that you reminded me this is very brief, but of Jim Clark because he raced in like F2, F3 and he did like a series in Australia and he won them all. He literally, he was so good. So yeah, he might have only had like eight, nine F1 races that year, but he had so many other races. And just to get back onto qualifying, because we were talking about standouts and as you two were having your little max moment, I remembered something. I feel quite like, the backing up seemed to be quite an issue, especially with Glenn Ujou, because he didn't get to finish his flying lap and he seemed really upset about it and he seemed like he was on a bit of a screamer as well, so it could have been good for him and it wasn't. Yeah, I did feel sorry for him there. But to be honest, he seemed like he was the only driver who sort of fell victim to it. If, if memory serves me right he's the only one that stood out for me anyway um, yeah everyone else might have just been able to I mean yeah, I guess he's new so it it's going to happen yeah and that's partly I'd say down to the team that when the team send the drivers out is very key in qualifying um, they need that open space 100% you know and I think he'll learn from that and I think the team will learn from that because let's face it then Alfa Romeo the last few years haven't been used to having to worry about when they send their drivers out, especially in like, you know, Q2, Q3. It's just been a case of get them out there, do what they can do, hope for the best. Whereas now it's, they're competitive and the team are probably learning quite a lot about what it means to actually, you know, get some points and finish in the top 10, etc. So it'll be a learning curve, not just for Joe, but for the whole team there. Um, one one person they seem to have nailed though is Bottas. P five was it? P five. It's just unbelievable. Out qualified Lewis. I know yeah. that was like my favourite when they were going through the grid on Sunday. I was like, look at yeah. that! I mean, look at Bottas out qualified Lewis say, again. I must say he surprised me. I never rated him as a Mercedes driver. I just thought Neither. he was a bang. I thought he was a bang average driver in the best car. Um. I'm eating some humble pie now. He he's proven me wrong, you know. He's, yeah, he's doing I'm, well. I'm 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 in the same boat, and I'm still recovering from Grace saying that I was having a max moment as Lewis fan. Uh, I'm a little bit hurt by that, but also, <laughs> Cal is so pleased right now. Um, I was also very critical of Valtteri when he was at Mercedes. One thing I will I always said though, most of the time, I think 
or I do think at least, is that he is a brilliant qualifier. He is exceptionally quick over one lap. His race, his race craft, and his race pace is is what's let down there. It's one. Well, of the I mean, I've, he hung on right till the very end. So he's. I mean, he didn't have much battling. He drove his own race, but it it seems to be getting there for him. I think Alfa Romeo is the right place for him. I really do. Oh, totally, absolutely, hundred percent. He needs the security. He needs to be the lead driver, and I think you, we're seeing the best of him now. And he's. I think Joe has performed well. But Valtteri is absolutely outperforming that car, kind of Pierre Gasly style. Um, so, oh, Grace is not not convinced by that. I've I just miss twenty twenty one Pierre. I really do. Like he's doing okay, but come on, he, he needs that fight again because he was so good. I mean, he is good, but you know what I mean. No, I, I do. Um, yeah, the, the Avatari's looked kind of out of sorts so far this year and Pierre did, did a really good really good job on Saturday so yeah as we know Leclerc started on pole Sainz was second Verstappen third because of that kind of you know slightly disjointed end to Q3 I did think that the pole was his to lose and Perez lined up uh, P4 with Valtteri and Lewis behind but George Russell was the really disappointing one for me P12 just how the car is so different from one leg to the other. And I, 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 yeah, I appreciate that that does happen, but that was a, that he looked really kind of not at ease with that car. Yeah. The Mercedes car is a proper anomaly at the moment. It, it's just insane. And in practice two, I believe that George was P2, super competitive. And I thought, and everyone, in fact, everyone, Karun Chandok especially was saying, going to see a three-way team battle for for pole and for the race here like this weekend this is going to be really good and then all of a sudden comes to qualifying and they're, they're nowhere near and it's like how 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 aren't you where you were like yesterday and i think the problem is with mercedes at the moment is they literally have one sweet spot with that car and as soon as you tweak anything, even the slightest bit, it, it like implodes and it doesn't like it. And it, it's very, very sort of like the Red Bull a few years ago on a knife edge. You get it right, it's going to be a very good car. If it's slightly out of tolerance in terms of what they're, they're and I, when I say tolerance, obviously the FIA set out tolerances for the cars anyway. That's how you can have them so different. Mercedes tolerance is so narrow; they have such a narrow window where it's effective. If it's slightly out of that tolerance, then it, it all goes to shit. And I think they need to stop tweaking it. Like they had a decent car, why why change anything? Like they were looking at P two, P three at that moment in time. They'd have probably comfortably got five and six in quali with with that car in practice anyway. For sure, and it, what it did do for for George is set up a an opportunity to have an alternate strategy for the race. The Albon strategy um, that we're already also fond of from Australia, who also had a, Albon had a bit of a disappointing qualifying because he looked pretty good on Friday. But let's go on to the race because some really standout performances, some really kind of, again, mistake-driven performances. I think a lot of people had, didn't have their best Grand Prix and I think that was partly due to the track surface. You know, we saw that it was difficult offline, lots of kind of slipping and sliding. If we look at the start 
I thought it was all very kind of orderly and, and, and professional. I, I thought they did pretty well. I felt for the Aston Martins though, they had a quite a good qualifying, had to obviously start from the pit because of that fuel issue. What are your takes from the early stages? Predictable, really. We all knew Max would be with Carlos, if not ahead by turn one or by the end of the first few turns. Yeah, one shocker though was Daniel Ricciardo had a great start, moved like three places up and then within a lap dropped back to where he started. Maybe he was having issues with the downshift, but I really don't know. That was a shocker. I need to touch on the Max the Max thing here. He got the perfect start. Yeah, it was, I, I, you knew absolutely. though. Am I just getting too comfortable with it? Knowing that Max is... My, my first instinct was that it was Carlos not being aggressive enough. But actually when I look back on it, I don't think there was much what he could have done. Like, what could Max, Carlos do? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, I think maybe it's just because obviously Carlos has had such a difficult time of things of late that you kind of immediately jump to, oh, he's, you know, he's not refound that form and yeah. you know, blah, blah, blah. Want, Max had basically no practice. Like they had, they had issues with this car. He, he had next to no point. practice. He had, and he certainly had no race start practice. He had, didn't try any starts. Um, Five laps, I think, of of running on Friday. Yeah, it, it was tough. Um, this just shows you the elite sort of level he's operating at the moment. Um, the fact that one, he's beating his teammate with that amount of time you know, on a new circuit in the car is, is phenomenal. But to pull off a race start like that with barely any practice and I've, I've having had a bit of a, a dodgy qualifying, like, wow. The move as well, like, let's not overlook the move. I was just about to say, knowing where to put it straight yeah. into turn one with all the f- like flurry of starting so well, you'd be like, oh yeah, but just putting it as well, like, I think, yeah, I did brush over that a bit. He is an absolute god and I've just gotten too comfortable knowing that he's going to do it when realistically he is extraordinary. But that, but that's the funny thing. After Australia, and after Bahrain, again a little bit after Jeddah, but certainly after Australia, we're kind of saying, oh, he looks out of sorts. He doesn't look comfortable. He doesn't look you know, at ease in the car. Like, you know, he seems nervous. He doesn't seem himself. You know, and I do think... I'll stand by the kind of point I made at the time. But he has really turned it around. He really has refound that confidence and he has, he has the bit between his teeth. He is looking unbeatable when he finishes a race at this stage. Yeah, just with Australia, he was getting a bit whiny and a bit... And I remember thinking, this season, he's either going to get whiny, get down in the dumps, get all like depressed or whatever and just not perform, or he's going to say... Rebel can make whatever car they want. I'm still going to perform 100% of the time. And if the car suits, which it is now, he's going to become unbeatable. And I think he's chosen that option. And maybe it's to do with his like upbringing with his race past, which is obviously a bit controversial, but it has made him into the driver that he is today. Like He has not quit with this car and it's paying off. For sure, absolutely. And before we get on to the kind of, you know, the... The, the middle of the race and everything that came with that. We have neglected to mention, or we preluded it earlier, the most entertaining part of the race start was the grid walk. Oh. Every, every single person under the age of 30, I think, 
was cringing so hard. Oh, I say insane. Like, I was also cringing. And I'm I also could, under 30. I couldn't watch it. I had my hands in front of my eyes. Like, when he was trying to talk to the Williams sisters and they just weren't talking to him. I, I was mean, like, at least, at least no. they spoke to him this time. They, they, they did mean, speak to him. Yeah, not he much. Did. It made me laugh, though, that because he was you like... You get much from... from oh, I don't know if I can true, face true. the rejection, but I'm going to go for it. Like, I just love that. I was like... Oh. God, you see so many, you see a famous person like that and it's almost mandatory for you to try. I think the person that let him down was the guy in his ear telling him that the guy over six foot seven or however tall he was, it was a monster, was Patrick. No, like I I died because as soon as I realised who they were talking about, I was like, that's not Patrick Mahomes. That's not him. Oh my God, I couldn't watch. I I love you, Martin, but I couldn't watch. I can't remember that guy's name off the top of my head, but he is a potential number one draft pick in the NBA draft. He's a Duke player. He's, you know, he he can and might be a big deal in the NBA. So, you know, he's, he's he is obviously someone, so fine, but that's an awkward, really awkward faux pas. Just also, stitches. Sorry, he was literally following him going, Patrick, Patrick. And the guy's just like not turning around at all until he eventually got right up next to him. Patrick looking up at him like, and the guy you could see the confusion in the guy's face like, and he was like, but oh, that's when it twigged, and <laughs> someone's so clearly, clearly, someone's clearly gone in his ear and gone, that's not Patrick Mahomes. Um, yeah, awkward, clunky, not really on Martin Brundle because he can't be expected to know every single person on on the grid, and they'll be like, go after that person. One one person who. I maybe thought he'd know, but he shouldn't be pointed out. And forgive me if I just missed it. But for a lot, for a lot of the time, you're saying I can't find anyone to talk about. He was walking next to Dwayne Wade, who is the biggest Miami Heat legend, you know, in their franchise history. So that was a bit like you could have t- talked to a really big local personality there, and you you missed it. I was thrilled though when he managed to talk to Beckham though, tracked him down. I didn't think he'd get there. It's a hard job. I can see why he's not hugely fond of it. But following that, we had the anthem. And Ollie always loves to mention the anthem. So guys, no, did you think they did it, it justice? <laughs> Absolutely not. And I, I like, was it Lou Fonsi? Uh, I think I like his songs. He, he has his own style, which I really like. But I just, I hate that type of singing where it's, very like wobbly voice giving it your heart and I get that the national anthem is a massive thing in America I don't feel that way about our national anthem personally because I think it's not the best but I just really didn't like it don't come for me America Grace God save the Queen best anthem in the world should be Jerusalem should be Jerusalem once the Queen dies it will be Jerusalem I'm not impressed with that I'm going to move on from that very swiftly what, from anthems in, in, in general? Hot take. My input from it, yeah. You can carry on. Yeah. I'm just All I was going to say is... Grace now. <laughs> All I was going to say is the Star Spangled Banner is obviously an incredibly well-known anthem. And yeah, it didn't quite... I was expecting a little bit more, like, from it. Um, so, but yeah, never mind. We'll, we'll move on before Grace insults any more people that will probably be listening. Not insulting uh, anyone. I, I said, I like, I like the musician. I just didn't like that particular song. literally just shit on the queen. No, wow. I love the queen. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I'm going to get called a gammon face Tory for saying I love the queen now. Oh, I can't, can't, can't win. 
But moving on to the the middle of the race, and for me, I think what was really difficult was a we don't know the circuit, so it's quite difficult to immediately immediately identify where on the track the car is that you're seeing on screen. And also a lot of the action we didn't actually see. I thought the race direction was pretty poor. We saw a lot of the fans and we missed a lot of the overtakes. There were 45 overtakes on track. I don't think we saw, we saw maybe got half of those. I'm going to say it was nearly as bad as Monaco was last year. It was poor. I saw, I don't even think I saw like the really good, slow, twisty midsection, like Formula E heaven style section. I think I saw maybe three times. So I was not impressed. So yes, I have now shut on the queen, shut on this boss, star spangled banner, and now the race direction. Come for me. I mean, watching it live, I, I was, I, I was focused on Verstappen, obviously. And by the way, we missed the fact that he did, uh, I think it was like lap eight, overtook Leclerc. Into lap nine, turn one, correct. Yeah, so that was a great move, made it look easy. I just want to point that out because, you know, <laughs> got to give much praise where I can. Um, I wasn't glossing over it. I was factoring that into the mid part of the race. Okay, okay. Well, Although it's we not did mid, brush mid. past it though. All right, I'm just I'm defending myself here, but you know. It's a key part mm. and you missed it, but okay. It was good. <laughs> But then again, it was aided by the Red Bull engine, DRS. But then again, it's Max Verstappen. He's going to get it done. Yeah, stupid, stupid power. Um, yeah, I mean, the race direction, I thought, while I was watching it, I didn't really notice. But then I've seen all these things online and I thought, God, I've watched the highlights. And even on the highlights, I was a bit like, hmm, that was, oh, okay. When, when did this happen? I was really trying to piece it together and I couldn't. Particularly... Hamilton-Russell battling was going on. Maybe towards the end of the race, we we saw like one one bit of action from that. And apparently that was a really good little battle and we, we missed it all practically. Also with like the timings and stuff, you, it showed someone falling down the timings dramatically and then like a minute later, oh, Magnussen's spun. Or like usually when there's a yellow flag and and it's like a boring race. They'll be like, oh, there's a yellow flag in this sector. Just keeping us up to date. There's yellow flags all the time due to a bit of spinning. We didn't really find out. And then also another thing that annoyed me is when they got Vettel and Stroll mixed up because I think Alonso, had just, someone had just pitted and like it was all about who's coming out where. And they're saying, oh, Alonso and Vettel battling a battle for the midtime. So I was like, the timing board says it's Stroll. Maybe they've got it wrong. But it it was Stroll and like, yeah, I get you make mistakes, but they kept saying it. I'm really glad you mentioned that, Grace, because I was watching that timing board going, is that broken? Or are we just not seeing any of the action going on as we're seeing like a, a far pan shot of like the lead guys on the straight who are like, you know, 10 lips apart from each other. Yeah, I, 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 I was very much confused. On that move though, what a move. That was uh, that was really really good coverage. Like is in the camera coverage of that move on on Alonso, the stroll move. It was a shame they got you know the whole kind of thing wrong. And yeah, th that happened a few times where that they weren't really too sure who was who, and uh, it, and I think yeah, that's because you know the guys in the commentary probably weren't seeing what they needed to be seeing when they did, and yeah. we were given updates late 
after that had already happened. I do think the biggest problem was, thinking about it, is that they had so many different camera angles and different opportunities and different ways of showing certain areas of the track. You know, I'm just, I don't know if this is fact or not, but just say like Turn 9, for example, they may have had three or four different camera angles for it because they had overhead shots, they had panning shots, they had wide shots, they had everything. And I think the director was probably looking at it thinking, right, which one do I press here? And when you've got that many different options to try and figure out on the fly the best angle to show something from, especially when things are happening so quickly, I do feel for the guy or, or woman. Um, it, yeah, it, it, it couldn't have been an easy job, but I do think it should have been so much better. But again, new circuit, new things going on. Maybe next year it'd be, it'd be better. We, we, we don't know. Yeah, I guess maybe he was overwhelmed, or she, he or she. But again, with the timings, you see, like, towards the end of the race, spoiler alert if you haven't watched it, when Vettel and Schumacher obviously had that little incident, I saw their names drop to the bottom of the timing board. We didn't see what happened for so long. Me and my boyfriend were literally sat there playing oh, as they spun, have they crashed? We were playing a game and whoever got it right won. And it was just, it it was poor. But hopefully they got on top of it for next year. Yeah, I mean, I, I caught that one as well. And I think the biggest disappointment from that was that Mick was in the points or nearly in the points. He was in he P10 or P9 actually maybe because yeah. he got past Ocon because he had a bit of a crap restart on fresh softs. Don't know what happened there. Well, we've glossed over that. Well, yeah. Well, there was a restart. Basically, it was it was simmering, not even simmering. Like it wasn't. It was it was it it was flat out boring. We were praying for rain because we couldn't see anything else that would happen because it was so boring and dry. We didn't even see like a crash happen. Like we couldn't predict it except Latifi. This is where to 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 loop it back around to the kind of the, the the preamble for the for the race. This is where I have a problem with really overhyping it is you need to set adequate expectations. And when you're acting like it's going to be the best thing since sliced bread, and it's not, it looks a bit silly. That is part of the problem with how overhyped the the days in the, the lead up to the race were. But as we have alluded to, there was a safety car, which did save the race to a certain degree. Lap 41. They had it 16 lap laps left. What are your thoughts on the incident that brought out the safety car? Uh, six of one, half a dozen of the other, to be honest. I don't think either driver comes out of that looking great. Um, Alonso's fault. <laughs> well, you could argue that, but at the yeah. same time... Jokes, obviously. Lando, Lando Alonso's fault? Um, he has... sent Pierre into a bit of a oh, right, yeah. frenzy. Yeah. But why Pierre's... didn't Pierre come in? It was, was a trying. lap after. He no, was it was trying. a lap after. Yeah, yeah. Pierre he, had he gone round again, though. Yeah, he's realised the damage and then he's actually, just before the incident, he's moved over to one side to let cars through. And obviously, you can't fully stop, so he's just rolling through very much over on the right-hand side, looking in his right-hand mirror. What I will say, though, in Gasly's defence is that Lando had a lot of room to the left. He was in the middle of the track, which I didn't get. Like, if, if you know he's having issues, you give them space. They almost need a, like a, a NASCAR style spotter to be like FYI. And in fact, his race, his race, his um, engineer should have been saying, "Oh, by the way, Pierre's 
going slowly two or three heads, you know, corners ahead of you, like they do in qualifying. So that was a bit odd. Um, but also for me, you saw a couple of times yellow flags coming out for people like running wide. Yeah. Which is a bit like, okay, calm down. And we've seen this a little bit throughout the season. And when the Lando Pierre crash happened, they went to VSC. And straight away, I was like, that's obviously a safety car. Why? I can't believe they went to VSC. I was saying safety car or even like a red flag. That might have been dramatic, but it wouldn't have been bad. Like, it, understandable. There was a lot of debris. Yeah, I mean, I, I do pin that sort of 50-50. If anything, more Lando's fault. He, um, same. But Don't yeah, hate me. Yeah, the VSC was silly. Um, should have been safety car straight away. And I think what happened during safety car, I was quite disappointed really that the front runners didn't really even attempt to pit apart from Perez. Perez managed to get in the pits, put the mediums back on and then get back out in front of Bottas. But obviously Perez had his issue, which I think but, Sam's going to mention. No, no I'm, I'm, well, I will mention that, but like, this is where the, the issue with the VSC comes in. Because from what I, from what I recall, and I think I said it at the time, Science missed an opportunity to come in there. Yeah. Because it was a VSC. Yeah. And it, it threw that, that element of doubt. And the, is it going to go full safety car? Why hasn't it gone full safety car yet? If it was full safety car straight off the bat, Science would have come in. He had so much time in front of Perez that he, you know, and Perez had a problem. Perez absolutely did the right thing and he allowed to kind of, well, really, um, consolidate fourth, given the problems he had. Damage limitation, he, baby. Exactly. He could have been at real risk. I think the, the, the most interesting part, though, was the Lewis strategy call, which that was, was bizarre. Thrown up by this, and not to, not to kind of gloss over George with some excellent race management, where he kind of you know got you know so far into the race, starting on hards, and thought, yeah, no, let's wait for yeah, you know, there could be a safety car. Let's let's see how this plays out. Yeah, he literally said, let's wait for a VSC or safety car. Yeah, Those were his exactly. words. He's incredible. But Lewis, I do feel for him because I think the team did let him down there. What I think is really interesting, though, is usually Lewis is the you know consummate professional and he will address those things behind closed doors. But in the interview after the race, for him to be like, you know, as blunt as he was, kind of, you know, that's your job, make the decision. I think that was very, very telling of the levels of frustration he's feeling at the moment. I, I think... That's fair. You know, at the end of the day, everyone's there to do a job. And there's only so many times that you can sort of cover for other people. You know, in your day job, you you wouldn't stand for that. You would say, "I'm not, I'm not being shafted anymore because of their lack of, you know, professionalism or work ethic or whatever." You you wouldn't stand for it in your day job. So why should you, as a sports person? And I think fair play to Lewis. I actually applaud him for saying something because it, sometimes it takes more than saying it behind closed doors where it could just be glossed over where Toto might just overrule and say Lewis it's done don't worry about it look at the result we got at the end of the day Lewis is after drivers points and it's still at that point in the season where teams are still deliberating who the number one driver is especially Hamilton and Russell they don't know yet 
And I think Hamilton will be very frustrated because he knows that's coming. He does not want to play second fiddle to George Russell. And the, the frustration is absolutely spot on. He he was shafted, I believe. And you know the fact that he said it publicly, he's putting the pressure on Mercedes to, to rectify it and sort it out and ask the question, why did it happen that way? And I think fair enough. I really, really respect him for speaking out about it. Speaking out, like, just because people listen. I know. People listen to Lewis Hamilton a lot. Like, as we saw with Miami, a lot of people were there for Lewis. And he's a superstar. And not just a superstar celebrity, but a superstar racer. He's brilliant. And if he's coming out and saying that this wasn't my fault, this wasn't right, you're going to listen. And I I mean, I say this, I doubt Mercedes will make the same mistake again. You'll never know. But just on the topic of this, I was thinking, are we starting to see cracks just in the whole Mercedes machine? Because like last year, they seemed so solid, so dynamic. But is that because they had the best car? Is it because they had a brilliant car and team dynamic with a, a second driver who would always play second to Lewis? When there's something off, it's like a... a pyramid of oranges you take one orange out they all start to fall is is stuff getting messed up because of this or is it just a bit random is that your version of a house of cards grace a pyramid of oranges or is that is that a yeah. legit saying um no yes that's the one i don't know why i was thinking of oranges but i, I was i do think you two have, have basically said everything you need to say about that incident he shouldn't have been put in the position to make a strategy call on the fly under a safety car. And I doubt they'll make that same mistake again because of the way he handled it in the press publicly, which sometimes, yeah, you have to do. It's interesting you mentioned though, Grace, this kind of cracking under pressure and this kind of getting to them. We started to, you know, some, some fans of the sport and particularly potentially Red Bull fans will say that we saw that in Abu Dhabi with the two opportunities to come in for fresh tyres. And as we know, when you're leading, that's not it's not that simple. You can't make that call. But I do think there is maybe a bit of a hangover there where they're going, Lewis, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Because they don't want to make the wrong call again or perceived to be made, making the wrong call. I don't know. Do you guys see it as kind of... No. Just take way? ownership, I think. Yeah. They, think, it's their job. They are strategists. Get over yeah. yourselves and make the decision. Grow, grow, grow a pair, basically. I think that, like Grace just said, that is your job. Lewis, as experienced as he is, doesn't always make the right call in the car in terms of strategy. You know, there's so many times where he's gone, oh, my tyres are gone, my tyres are gone. He's getting frustrated and he, he just simply wants to change tyres to try something else. And it, it, the strategy always pays off in the end for them. By the end of the, how many times have we seen it where by the end of the race, oh yeah, great strategy, guys. Good work, thanks for all the team and all that shit. I was going to say, um, sorry, we saw something similar, a bit different in Turkey last year when he was like, I don't want to pit, I want to stay out. And then he ended up like behind Gasly or just in front of Gasly and he was really angry. But I think that, that those tyres could have died on him. Like, you know, you don't know. And I know it wasn't the result he wanted, but it was a strategy call. It worked and he didn't lose out much from it. Oh, like, don't get me wrong. Like, I think that the team should have made the decision and, you know, that they made a mistake in not making a decision. My point was more, do you think that what happened in Abu Dhabi has 
affected the team in any way. But also, it's interesting you mentioned Turkey last year, Grace, because when me and Ollie were speaking to Mike Caulfield, so for those of you who don't know, Mike Caulfield was a strategist at Mercedes and then was head of strategy at Haas uh, up until last year. He was saying that quite often you get, drivers will remember how things panned out at a certain track at a certain year. So 2020, Lewis decided not to come in or the team decided to not bring Lewis in. And those inters worn all the way down to, you know, basically slicks. And it was, he won his, he won the race. And that was actually his seventh title that he won that day. So the year later, he's kind of thinking, well, logic applies that I can do this again. And it doesn't always work that way. So yeah, it's, it, it's difficult. I think it's diff. It, I find it hard to tell with Mercedes because Lewis does have the kind of Lewis bluff that he likes to do. Um, where, yeah, he's always saying his tires are going off and we know that they're not. And, Oh, I still think they're sandbagging. Part of me, a little one percent, thinks Mercedes and Hamilton <laughs> no. are all sandbagging. That is Absolutely. a big flex. To I know. Five races go. I know. Just go. You know, I we know. can win this in eighteen. We can give them a head start. Real like, tools and hair. Truthfully, um, I think they're higher up than they deserve to be with that car. Oh, I think. Um, who's in fourth? What mm. drivers or? Oh, um, constructors. Alpine. No, McLaren. McLaren. Really. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think they should be there either. Well, yeah, Mercedes definitely shouldn't be, I think. No. They, they've struggled massively and looked out, especially with George Russell. They've looked out in a few uh, races now. He's the only he, driver to finish in top five every race. I have a and theory about George Russell. I think, sorry, <laughs> because he was used to driving such a hard-to-drive car that he's adapted to an unpredictable Mercedes a lot better than Lewis, who's gotten so comfortable in a car that he knows how to drive. And especially with new regulations, George, he, he knows how to react. I think he's a lot more ready to, if something needs changing, he can change better rather than I think Lewis might want the comforts that he's had for the past seven years. I don't think you're alone in thinking that, Grace. I think, I think that's a very fair point. I think people have probably already been feeling that that it's easy to adapt when you're still making a relative step forward in the car you're driving. But quickly before we kind of wrap up, we you know give our driver ratings and our or our race ratings and our driver of the day. I we do need to kind of I guess discuss the kind of the last few laps because again it. It was more entertaining. There was you know, a little bit of chaos in the midfield, but it, it just kind of petered out. Did look like it was closing and then just didn't have whatever whatever was needed. Well, you know, ultimately straight line speed. But first of all, the the biggest take home for me was Valtteri's mistake. And I'm, I'm disappointed for the guy. It was a poor mistake. He said that he was too busy watching the Mercedes fighting behind him. And he's, he's thrown away four points, potentially. So, yeah. I wasn't too impressed and it's annoying because he had a really, really good weekend. And that for me just kind of, I don't know, mars that slightly. I still think he had a very strong weekend, but it's, I don't know, it's taking the shine off a little bit for me. Like, why would you let that happen so close to the end? You're about to beat your teammate and your replacement. And then, yeah, it's just, it's like something you'd expect from his teammate, Guan Yuzhou, running wide. It's so rookie. I think with the Charles thing, I, I said this as it was going on live, I said Max has got this purely on the perspective that 
Leclerc can't handle that pressure. And oh, I knew he'd bottle it. He got within three tenths and then just backs off. Sam's pulling a strange face, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to justify this here, Sam. Every race, obviously, this season so far, Max has finished, he's won. That will be playing on Charles's mind because that's the big talking point, not the fact that Charles has won two races. It's the fact that Max, whenever he's finished, he's, he's won. Leclerc will be fully aware of what's being said there and that will be in his mind. That will be the extra sort of, I need to, I need to fucking win because they're just going to say this again at the end of the race. And I think that will be playing on his mind, but I also think he's thinking, that is Max Verstappen. And that Red Bull super quick. I think he's defeated in his head trying to get, especially on the long straight there. Maybe we'll see it differently in Spain and Monaco where those tracks are probably going to be more naturally suited to that Ferrari. I'd be surprised though if Max didn't pull something out of the bag. But yeah, I I just think the pressure of leading the world championship is already getting to Charles in the way of his driving, not off off track I think he's still handling himself pretty well but I do think already on track I'm sort of looking at it thinking pressure's there a little bit we saw the mistake last week in Imola you know he's already I think he's just already trying to push too hard to keep up with Max when actually it's not realistic for him I I, I do think although they're both very very good drivers Leclerc is a very fantastic driver I do think he just needs to level his head a little bit in the car I think genuinely think the pressure's getting to him already a hundred percent and I think he's getting to that point where it's like yes every point counts and everyone's speaking about like you know fastest laps great I'm going back to Imola there was no need to go for the fastest lap in that instance especially when it was a bit wet and you were going to bottle it and then also in Miami with the chase on Max he hit a curb in that twisty section which he should have been he should have been catching up to him like he should have been hot on his heels and I think that should have punished him more I think he got lucky with clipping that curb because we know it doesn't always work out when you hit a curb and he got very lucky because again that could have ended completely differently and he could have might not even see points he actually did that a couple of times and do you think I, I was actually pretty relaxed in this situation. Usually you'd be the driver you, you want to win, you'd be a bit nervous in that situation. But I was just thinking the whole time, go past if you want, give Max DRS. <laughs> he's going to he's gonna, he's gonna he get so you back. close, didn't yeah. go past. And I was like, well, he's not going to get him then, is he? Even no, with DRS in the I, best section, no. I don't think he could though. I think, I think that straight line speed kind of factor is huge at this stage of the season. Yeah. It's, it's huge at any stage of the season, but it's, it's I think it's, it is at the moment the deciding factor between the two, the two guys. Yeah. Um, I do think even if Leclerc had got past Max, it wasn't a done deal. I think Max would have gotten no. back. Whereas I think Max past Leclerc, I think is more certain at the moment because it's so much more difficult to kind of, yeah, you can close up if you're quick through the corners, but you can't ultimately overtake if you're not quick on a straight. Yeah. You know, I don't. I, I, I don't. I see it differently with regards to the pressure against Charles. I think he does need to be more decisive. He needs to be more aggressive, like we saw at the start of the season. So yeah, maybe there is an element of leading the championship that factors into that. But I think he 
I think all of these guys deal very well under pressure. You have to, right, to get to this level. Ultimately, yeah. They wouldn't be an F1. Yeah, of course they do to an extent, but there's there's pressure in F1 and then there's pressure of leading the championship in F1. And I do think I've noticed a change in his driving from the start of the season. Like you said, he was in Bahrain, he was aggressive. He was not letting Max go past. And I do believe even if Max had finished that race, that was Leclerc's race. I don't think Max would have won. It's one of those things that you know how you was you know, we always gonna say that part of maturing in, in F one is realising that a championship isn't one over one race, it's one over a season. Yeah, be that as it may, but when when your main championship rival is the one who's ahead of you, I'm not sure that rings as true. You need to get it still, sorted in the you're race. You're still losing ground. So yeah, like I think that more alludes to the fact of you know, there'll be points where your rival isn't competing for a win and that's when you need to you know at least score you don't need to win every race you just need to be scoring more points but you know when you're first and second you do need to be winning the race um yeah I have one more point on this as well sorry go on no go for it I, th- I think the fact that all right Bahrain was a bit different because you know Leclerc was winning and I think he would have won regardless of Max's retirement but the fact that, again, going back to the fact that every race Max has finished, he's won. Saudi was a big turning point there for that. That was a Ferrari track, in my mind. That that was a Ferrari circuit. Leclerc got beaten fair and square. Leclerc should have won, man. Like He, he should have won that race 100%. That car was so rapid through sectors one and two. All Max had was straight line speed. Now, for me... It was that DRS trick that they were doing, stopping before the line. That was just where Max's experience fighting Lewis came into play, and he was just like, "No, I will, I will just straight up stop the car if it means me getting DRS and overtaking you into turn one." That's exactly what happened. Leclerc just wasn't willing to go that extra mile, and I think this is where Leclerc is going to lose this season. Is Max knows what it takes to win and to go wheel to wheel for the season. And end up coming out on top. And he's done it against the best. So Leclerc's got all these things going through his head thinking, right, he's just beaten a seven-time world champion, wheel-to-wheel pretty much for the whole season, and came out on top. Regardless of the Abu Dhabi controversy, he was a deserved champion. Every driver knows that. It's all in his head. And I think it's going to take a season for Leclerc to actually become competitive in the sense that He'll win races, sure, but will he win a championship? I I can't see him being within fifty points. I'm going to say it now. I I can't see. I think Max is going to win by more than fifty points. I think it's going to be an outrageous victory landslide. That's interesting because I saw the closing stages of Jeddah a little bit differently. I saw them as a continuation of Bahrain. I actually felt that Max should have twigged sooner how to get past. I thought he was a little bit slow to work it out slower than I expect from a world champion and ultimately he did and he has looked you know imperious since but yeah I, I don't know I think it's it's very easy to be led by a couple of bad weekends as we have as lots of people have with Carlos Sainz of late I think we have to get back to circuits that maybe favour Ferrari more to see oh. That's the next two. 
Spain yeah. and Monaco coming up. If we'll see that, that will be the the telling tale. I do think Max will win in Monaco. Um, Charles was very good in Monaco last year, and on pole, like that was a shock, I think, to many people because that Ferrari wasn't really competitive last year compared. Yeah, but he stuck it on pole in Baku like the week later. So yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I, th- was I do it think. Ba- oh, my mind is just Monaco. My Monaco is Max's race, and I think. Spain will be a very interesting race. I think that'll be quite wheel-to-wheel for a lot of it. I don't think Leclerc will have the pace to pull away, but I think he'll win. But I do want to just point out, it's a very, very spicy start over the weekend. No driver has ever lost a world championship after having led by more than 40 points. That is That could be another thing that Leclerc's seen and he's thinking, shit, I don't want to be the first guy to do that. I think he will be the first guy to do that. Uh, I, I reckon they probably put stuff like that. You know, they keep it far away. Interestingly, you mentioned that you reckon Catalonia will be an interesting race because usually it isn't. And my point is, is that if it is an interesting race, again, that'll be a more confirmation that the new regulations are working, which I do think we saw this weekend as well. Had the Miami race been last year, I think it would have been painful like it would have been ooh. it would have been even worse yeah it would have been shock it would have been pole and win 100% um but yeah spain will be very interesting i think that 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 circuit is the perfect balance of you know high speed turns and slow speed corners and straight line speed it's the, it is it's the perfect circuit in my eyes really that's why they do the testing there so i think it will be a true test of the 2022 regulations and I think we'll see the one of the better races this season there. On that's paper a, anyway, I think I'm anticipating that. That's a really interesting view. Um, I'm not sure I share it, but I'm I'm willing to kind of see how it goes because, yeah, that could be, you know, something that you kind of say, I told you so. Um, and I yeah, definitely I mean, will be saying that. <laughs> good, good. I look forward to it. Um only if it means that, you know, there's been a good race. Um, there's been so many good performances, though, that we haven't talked about. And, and as we kind of alluded to earlier, some absolute disaster classes. Alex Albon, yet again, just, you know, disappointing qualifying, but just grinds. He's just found something with this Williams where he can just kind of waltz through the field and get on to the end of the... It's you know, really the, good the tail end of the points. Yeah. And it's, it's really exciting to see because he's, he's clearly building his confidence up. It's, you know, exactly kind of what he needed, but quickly before we go to, to racing for the race and drive of the day, just to run through those, uh, those results for you, as you've probably guessed, Max did hold out to win pretty comfortably. He was comfortable before the, uh, before the red, uh, the safety car. And he, you know, didn't look, look too much danger to, to lose the win. Carlos Sainz was also on the podium alongside his teammate, Charles Leclerc. Good return to form, you know, some solid points for him. Although he is, again, starting to look like a second driver. Yeah, I, I was pretty disappointed with Carlos, to be honest. I thought, you know, if Perez didn't have his issue that he had loss of power, I do think that 
Carlos would have been P4, 100%. I think it could have been he one, was, too. He was nowhere near um, Charles. Absolutely nowhere near. Considering Perez was putting it to him, especially near the end, having been 25 horsepower down is a big red flag for me. Um, confidence may have been an issue. His neck was hurting from the crash in practice, but at the end of the day, he was slow. It's not panned out the way that he would have wanted to over the first five races of the season. And yeah, I'm, I don't know. We'll have to see. I think he's absolutely still the right man for the job in terms of being in a Ferrari seat, but it's not as equal as we were expecting to be. I think we've been spoiled by how well he performed last year or maybe how kind of inconsistently Charles was. And then you've got, you know, the two Mercedes, Russell and Hamilton, who had a nice kind of ding-dong towards the end of the race, as as we know, and as seventh-place man Valtteri Bottas knows as well. Um and then it's followed up by Ocon, Albon and Stroll. Alonso did finish P9 on the road, but received a, a pair of five place, uh, t- uh, sorry, five second time penalties, which dropped him out of the points and promoted Stroll to get his second point of the season. I think, yeah, you know, he did score last time out as well. Another good good drive for him, from him from, uh, from the pit lane. Grace, what are your thoughts on the uh, on the tail end of the points there? Um, I think, oh, see, I, I was of the opinion that Ocon really disappointed because I thought, oh, he's going to be on fresh softs and he's already like on the points anyway. He's going to make some real damage. But then when you look at the top seven, they were kind of unbreakable. Like maybe, maybe he bought us, but they were very far ahead. So... At the end of the day, Ocon did well. He got he got some good points and the strategy and his race worked with this race. But yeah, I mean, Albon, bit of a legend. Stroll again, it's nice to see him finish where he qualified, if that makes sense, because he put all that into quality, started from the pit lane and still ended up back there. So yeah... I don't really know. The Aston Martin is such an anomaly right now because it seemed so bad, like worse than Williams. Then it seemed okay. Now I'm not sure. I I just want to make a point on Aston Martin. I think that in large parts, they were the reason that the race was so boring. Um, They were holding up the pack quite a bit. And I felt like if... Yeah, Haas were complaining about that. If they weren't in the mix, I do think Haas and McLaren... Could have been a bit closer, maybe even had a decent battle themselves. Obviously, Alpine were in the mix there as well. I felt like Aston Martin were just just quick enough to compete with those guys, but ultimately, those guys had more pace, and they if they weren't in the way, the pack may have been a bit closer to Bottas. Um, I don't think the Alfa Romeo is that fast to warrant the gap that was there. Um, so yeah, I was a bit annoyed or frustrated is more, I think, a better word for it, with Aston Martin being in the way, really. Yeah, it's one of those things you can't begrudge them from being, from from competing and being, you know, fighting for points. But they, you know, they maybe were out of position somewhat. Um, Massively, not, if, they, if they weren't going long on the hard at the start and they'd started on the medium, say, they, they'd be nowhere near. I think they'd have been finishing with um, Latifi. Like... 
I see. I very much see see it. I'm looking at this more kind of glass half full. I'm seeing the merits of that weekend for them and the strategy and how they kind of made something out of nothing. And Vettel oh. probably would have scored points had it not been for Mick, who yeah. would have been my driver of the day had he not made that mistake. Which I think anyone can make that mistake because we haven't even mentioned Perez's attempt on taking the podium, which he overran. I think anyone would have made that mistake. Um, that that weekend, you know, clearly offline in, of the inside of turn one was not was a no go zone, really, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't know Austin. who I think's at fault. Do you guys? Who do you think's at fault for the Mick and Vessel incident? Oh, Mick didn't even get to see it because yeah. coverage was so far behind. But I did end up <laughs> seeing it, and yeah, um, unfortunately. I do think it was Mick. It was. 100% it was Mick. Yeah. Vettel, I think Button made a good point. At the point where Mick tried to get in, that was a complete blind spot for Vettel. Mm. So obviously he's yeah, going to yeah. turn in. And it, yeah, it was a bit of a lunge for glory, I think, from Mick. Um, he'll learn from that though. And I think Vettel's a decent enough guy to have a word with him and sort of say, you know, Fair play for having a go, but mate, don't live by what Senna said. You know, yeah. I know there was a gap, but it was like three miles away. So maybe look for the next gap. And I, I think, think Vettel's you know, the right guy to crash with because although 100%. they're mates, for but Mick, like yeah. he's so experienced and he's so he's basically a mental. Yeah, he's such a mental that if you do that, you just say, "Look, I'm not annoyed, but don't do that next time because you'll end up losing out too." Yeah, I'm. Vettel's been that guy. Vettel has been that guy to cause those incidents many a time. So he does know what Mick is feeling at the same time. So, you know, it's a good learning moment for Mick. I don't think we've really seen that sort of error for him before. I do think I'd be be actually very shocked if we saw that again from Mick. I do think Mick is a genuine future world champion. So he'll be learning from that. And I think... I'm just going to throw this out there. I know this is very off topic, but I'm just going to throw this out there. I think if next season Mick gets a drive in, say, an Alpha, we will see him sort of where Bottas is right now, maybe. Well, that's a really bold claim. I think that's, that's a really so, that's a really hot take. Yeah. Um, I think he's good. Me. I don't know if we can say he's future world champion good, and I don't think we can say he is yet at Valtteri Bottas's level. Um, which... If you know my opinions on my opinions on Valtteri Bottas, maybe says quite a lot. Um, I'm not. I'm not saying he's at Valtteri Bottas's level. He, he can't be yet because of the experience factor. But I'm saying that if you put him in that car, I think maybe after five races we'd sort of see him certainly better than what Joe has done in that car. That's interesting. And, and this was the first weekend where he really did look more even with with Kevin Magnussen. So yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. I think Joe's been pretty unlucky. I think he's. Yeah, he had obviously a great debut. Um, but yeah, he's it's not quite come together for him since. But ultimately, I think we've done pretty well to kind of, you know, find so much conversation about a race that ultimately wasn't great. So guys, what are your race ratings? Cal, I'll go to you first. And also throw in uh, Driver of the Day as well while you're there. Uh, race rating was a solid 5 out of 10. Um, disappointed, but I think... It's Baku 2.0. I think next year it'll be one of the better races of the season. 
Um, driver of the day has to be Max. So commanding. As Ollie said, unstoppable. And when he's on form like that, you, you could, even when you are within half a second of him, no one's concerned that you're going to get past him. Um, so yeah, driver of the day, Max Verstappen, 100%. There's no, there's no other fucking option really, is there? And Grace? I'm going to sound like an absolute echo, but yeah, a very generous five out of 10. Because I thought the interesting bits were quite interesting. Max's overtake was just a joy to watch. And it did get a bit spicy in the midfield if we managed to watch any of the footage. And driver of the day is, of course, Max Verstappen. He went out there with very little practice and he was a god genuine incredible racer yeah i think that's fair um i'm gonna give it a four out of ten it would have been higher had we actually seen any of the action oh yeah yeah I think it actually it probably was a better race than we actually saw right and i think that kind of you know factors into my rating is that it was badly directed um ironically as f1 and sky sports won a bafta <laughs> I was just about um, to say, for, that's not winning any BAFTAs. Uh, no, it's not. Um, maybe it should be put forward as a joke or the anti-BAFTA or whatever. I'm sure they have some kind of you know, joke award ceremony. Oh, um, what's it called? Like the Rotten Tomatoes thing? I don't know. Oh. I know that there's, the you know, the opposite of the Nobel Prize is the Ign Nobel Prize. Um, but yeah, driver of the day, I'm going to go with Albon because again, he's just, it's, it's that consistency that we're seeing and every race now I'm starting to think, you know what, even if he starts towards the back, which is, you know, somewhat disappointing because he outperforms the car more often than not, he's going to be there or thereabouts. And he was, he had a you know, quiet race by camera's standards as was alluded to after the race when, when he was being interviewed, but he was there and he was in the right place and he, he nicked two points. Honourable mentions Gobby George, um, the team made the right strategy call for him, but he also you know, was aware, good race management, and he made something out of a, you know, a disappointing weekend uh, to that point. And also Lance Stroll, honourable mention as well. Um, had a good qualifying session, really unlucky with the fuel issue, but still got a point in the end. So yeah, I think there were some, some you know promising and exciting performances in a not so exciting race. But yeah, thank you very much for uh, for joining me today, guys. Good to hear your thoughts as always. Cal, would you like to do the honours of telling our, our listeners where they can go to get more Formula Nerds action? That would be FormulaNerds.com. And I just, uh, just want to throw in a little thing as well. We we do have a shop on FormulaNerds.com. So if you fancy a little hoodie or a t-shirt with Nerdy on it, because he's great, Go ahead over there. We've actually just revamped it. We've added a new, a few new products and uh, adjusted a few prices as well. So it's a little bit more reasonable than it was previously. Get yourselves over there. Oh, and one more thing with the shop. Anyone who goes and buys the Formula Nerds flag and takes it to a Grand Prix sends us a picture to info at FormulaNerds.com. They will get a refund for putting us out there basically so yeah go ahead and do that and grace what social media channels um and potentially other podcasts um should our listeners look out for 
Well, we've obviously got Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and of course the amazing Facebook group. But if you if you just want some more podcast action, we have got our midweek news show that me and Sam love to attend to and just, well, he's got a better attendance record than I have, let's just say that. But I do love it. So yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so that comes out usually kind of, you know, late Wednesday, early Thursday. So look out for that. Um, and, you know, the highlight for me is always telling you guys why Grace isn't there. Um, but thank you for joining us today. Thank you for listening. Um, if you have any comments, if you want to get involved in the conversation, as Cal said, uh, we have info at formulanerd.com. So yeah, it's been a pleasure and we will see you next time for the Spanish Grand Prix. Network. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, oh, oh. 